Go ahead and grab a Bible, turn to John chapter 10. If you're a guest with us today, I want to welcome you. And we are in a series that we are calling uh, I Am Jesus in His Own Words. And we are looking at this, in, in this series, we're really looking at the claims of Jesus that are found in several I Am statements that um, are recorded in the Gospel of John. And so if you were to look at these I Am statements, uh, you would notice... Uh, a couple of observations. You, you would make a couple of observations with these. I think the first observation is these claims really uh, make Jesus unique among other religious leaders in the history of world religions. So if you look at the claims that they make and you compare them to the claims that Jesus makes, um, you notice that these I am statements put Jesus in a completely different category. And uh, you see that it's, it distinguishes him from uh, all, other, all other religious leaders. So you really only have one of three options when you read through these. Jesus was either a madman or he was a bad man or he was the God man. So you only have one of three options there. And, um, and so these, what, these are what uh, are communicated to us through the I am statements. I think the second thing is you look at these claims, these claims of Jesus have huge implications for you and for me. So, so just thinking about them and meditating on them and, and really understanding what Jesus uh, is saying, uh, you will begin to see the direct relevance of these claims for our lives uh, right now. And so that's what we're really doing in this series is really trying to, to show that relevance. So, so last Sunday, we talked about Jesus' statement, I am the way and the truth and the life. And that's basically Jesus with his disciples telling them, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm the way to that place. And that's what he says in that statement. Now this morning, what I want us to do is look at the statement where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Now I realize when we, when we start talking about shepherding and we've, we've talked about it uh, a number of weeks uh, in the past, but I realize many of us haven't seen a real shepherd. Uh, we've probably not even seen a real sheep farm because sheep farming is not as prevalent today as it was in Jesus' day. I, I would say that sheep farming is so, was so common in Jesus' day, it was as common as cell phones and Amazon deliveries are in our day to day. So the survival of most people that lived in Jesus' day was directly tied to sheep farming because they would use the sheep for food, they would use the sheep for clothing, and so uh, sheep farming was absolutely essential for just existence, just for life. And, and then not only that, but, but the reality is, is your social status in life was determined by the size of your flocks. So sheep farming in Jesus' day was huge. And so when Jesus starts with this metaphor that I'm the good shepherd, his audience knows exactly what he's talking about. They understand exactly some of the nuances that he's trying to communicate. And I think when he's using this metaphor, he is telling us something about how he relates to us. In fact, one of the things that, you know, when you think about all of the I am statements, out of all of them, this one, I am the good shepherd, is the most personal and it's the most relational that he uses. So Jesus says, I'm the light of the world and I'm the bread of heaven and I am the vine and, and uh, you know, all of that. Those things communicate what God does for us. This one communicates how God feels towards us. 
so it conveys to us a sense of connectedness and intimacy with his flock. It, it really shows how he leads us and how he loves us. And I think we'll, we'll see that as we, as we kind of work through this. Now, um, so as we think about this whole shepherding metaphor, we've, we've talked about in the past, out of all the animals in the animal kingdom, nothing resembles, no animal resembles a human being more than a sheep. You guys following me on that? Because really, when you look at the, the nature and the character of a sheep, um, sheep are basically, they're generally anxious, okay? They're easily frightened. They are high maintenance. Uh, they are stubborn, uh, they are forgetful, and they are utterly defenseless. So they have a lot of natural enemies. And so, so this is a perfect metaphor for Jesus when he's talking about I am the good shepherd because we resemble you know, so much uh, the character and the nature of a sheep. So it's a lot better if, than if Jesus would have said, you know, I am the chicken farmer and I lay down my life for my chickens. You know what I mean? That, you know, that's just not going to land pretty well. We don't really want Jesus dying for chickens. We want chickens dying for us because we like Chick, Chick-fil-A, right? So um, anyway, that's a little joke. But, uh, um, but sheep are especially dependent upon a shepherd. They're not going to make it very long without a shepherd to care for them. And they need a shepherd from the day that they're born to all the way that Till the day that they die and so sheep are totally dependent creatures and I really think that's the point I think that's the point of the passage and Jesus is communicating to us that we are like sheep and we are in desperate need of the good shepherd and we need to we need to have our eyes and our hearts open to that so I want to read uh, this passage to you we're going to read John chapter 10 verses 1 through 18 and you get really the the entire context of what he's saying here, it's, it's really beautiful when you begin to unpack its meaning. So I'm going to invite you, if you're willing and able, would you please stand as we read the word of God together today. So Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And to him the gatekeeper opens. And the sheep hear his voice, and when he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. Now, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. I love how honest scripture is. So Jesus said to them again, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd, And I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. 
and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. And for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he mentions it a number of times in this passage, I am the good shepherd. What does he mean by that? What does he mean? What kind of shepherd is he? I think, I think there's really three, three truths that he's trying to convey to us about the kind of shepherd that he is and what, what he really does for the sheep. I think first and foremost, he knows the sheep and he talks about that. I know the sheep. Secondly, Jesus defends the sheep. And then thirdly, we're going to look at Jesus gives sheep life. He gives them abundant life. So let's, so let's look at the first one, that Jesus knows the sheep. Look with me. Let me show you this in verse 14. Notice what he says. He says, I'm the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Now, what he's talking about here is this. He's talking about the relationship that shepherds have with their sheep. And so as the people were listening to Jesus say this, they know exactly what he's talking about. Because in most villages back then, they would have one sheep pen in a village and all the people would, would put their sheep in that sheep pen at night. They'd hire somebody to kind of look after them during the night. And so it was a way that the community kind of kept their sheep together and, and safe uh, during the night hours. And so the individual shepherds would come in the next morning and each shepherd knew their sheep which is an amazing trick when you think about it because they all look alike. But each shepherd had spent so much time with their sheep, caring for their sheep. Each shepherd knew exactly which sheep belonged to them. And he would, you know, call them out and take them out and, and take care of them and, and get them in the pasture and, and, and do all the things that sheep needed him to do. What's really fascinating is shepherds would know their sheep so well, they would often name their sheep. So they would call them some kind of name and the shepherds would know that name or the, the sheep would absolutely know that name. A lot of times the shepherds will whistle in a certain way and the sheep would recognize that whistle and then, and then follow the shepherd out. So the people understood this and uh, they know exactly what he's talking about here. Now here's the question, why does a shepherd have to know his sheep so well? Why? Well, the answer is not a compliment. I will tell you that. Um, as I shared a little bit earlier, sheep are defenseless. They're anxious. They're easily frightened. Uh, they're stubborn. They're all that. They're also not very smart. They're kind of dumb. So, and maybe not even kind of. They're, they're very dumb. And so, so when sheep, when they get out of the sheep pen or they're out on the, you know, they're out just grazing in, in open land, a lot of times they will wander off and they will do stupid things like they will get themselves, you know, caught in briars or caught in a fence. Uh, they will get themselves in a ditch where they've hurt their leg. They can't get out. Um, a lot of times sheep, well, I wouldn't say a lot of times, but it's, it's been known and it's been documented that sheep will walk off a cliff. And if they're walking confidently enough, other sheep will follow them right off the cliff. 
it's kind of an amazing thing. So they're not, they're not really the brightest of all animals. And I think, I think that's why shepherds really have to know their sheep. Sheep are totally dependent on the shepherds for protection and provision they absolutely need. That's why you never just stumble across a flock of wild sheep uh, because they have to have a shepherd. So here's the point of all of that. When Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, what he's communicating to us and to his listeners is as human beings, as people, we are utterly and completely and spiritually dependent upon God. That's what he's talking about. He's trying to convey the imagery. Just as sheep are dependent upon the shepherd, as human beings, we are absolutely and utterly dependent upon God for so many things for 500 things, for 1,000 things. But let me share with you just two. You know, as human beings, we are absolutely dependent on God in two ways. I think first and foremost, we really need God to tell us the truth about ourselves. We really need him to do that. Because there's something in me and there's something in you, there's something in our broken, sinful nature that wants to believe the lie that we are better than we actually are. It is a bias that we have. It is a lie that we are vulnerable to believe. That we're actually doing good. And that we're good people. And we are much better than, than what is in reality. Now, Pastor Tim Keller, he, he gives a great illustration of this. And I just want to share it with you. He talks about how you ever, you, you ever just kind of at your present self look back over your past self from 10 years ago you've ever have you ever done that before you know where you just kind of you're in the present moment and you're looking back over your life and evaluating your life from 10 years ago and and what do we always say in that in that situation oh I was so foolish back then I was so immature you know I was so uh I was so naive I was so dumb I was such a jerk 10 years ago you guys you guys follow me on this and and so we have this tendency to kind of in the present evaluate our past self five, 10 years ago in much a similar way. And so, so what Tim Keller says is he says, and we also just take that next logical step and we think to ourselves, man, I am so glad I am not like that anymore. I have arrived. Now here's the problem with that. Your future self will think of your present self as even more of a jerk. Have you thought about that? Like what this really means is this, what if we're always jerks and we just think we're just getting over it? You know what I mean? You guys know what I'm saying? And uh, it's kind of like when you're 16 years old, you look back when you're 12 and you're like, I was so dorky when I was 12 years old. I mean, I'm, I'm glad I have it together now at age 16. And then you get to be 21 and you look back over and it's the same thing. And so what if we're always jerks and what if we're just thinking that, uh, yeah, we've gotten over that. See, that's... That's the essence of sheepness. And that is the deception that we buy into. And see, what we need is we need someone to tell us the truth. We need someone to tell us the truth about ourselves. We, we need to be reminded that as long as we are alive, we're never going to arrive. In other words, we don't have it together, that we are, we are sinful and selfish and broken people. Now, Church, don't misunderstand me. We are God's treasured possession. We are loved by God. But at the same time, we are broken 
and sinful and selfish people and just left to ourselves, left to our own devices, spiritually we're going to jump that track every single time if it were not for the grace of God. You guys follow me on that? And we need, we need God to tell us the truth about ourselves. I think a lot of times, I think a lot of times we misunderstand Christianity. I think our picture of growth in the Christian life is this, and you've heard me say this in the past, is this escalator of progress. That when we're really growing in the Christian life, we get on this escalator and it's taken us up and we no longer have temptation and we no longer have struggle and we no longer have doubts and we've just kind of risen above all of life's circumstances and that's growth in the Christian life. And I just wanna tell you that the longer that I'm a Christian, the more of a sinner I see myself that I see in myself. The more aware of my sinfulness before God and the more I realize how much I need the grace of God in my life. And I think that, that is growth in the Christian life where we see the reality of how much we really depend upon the grace of God. We are utterly dependent. And the problem starts for you and for me is when we forget that dependency. When we start to think, I've got this. I don't need it. I don't really need God. I don't need his word. I don't need the Holy Spirit. I don't need the power of prayer. I can do this in my own strength. And that is, that is the deception to the nth degree. And so we're always making these bad decisions. We, we have this tendency to stray away. We need, we need the truth spoken to us, right, to bring us back, to bring us back to the shepherd. And so that's the first First area where I think as humans we're really dependent upon God, I think the second area where we're really dependent upon God is we really need his unconditional love. We need God's unconditional love. Because in the midst of our straying, in the midst of our bad decisions, in the midst of our, you know, our bad thoughts, we really need someone to love us unconditionally. We really need that when we mess up. And see, the problem is this, we live in a conditional love world, don't we? We, we live in a world that is, that is really all about transactional love. You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. We, we, we live in a world where the message of the world says, if you perform, then you're worthy of being loved. Our society tells us over and over again that if you meet the right conditions, if you meet the right standards, then you can be loved. And so what it does is it puts us on this treadmill of trying to find our self-salvation, trying to find love in and of ourselves, and, and trying to show that we're worthy of that love. And what it is, is this, this love that's based on performance. I can be loved if I can be an all-star athlete. I can be, a love if, I can be loved if I can, I can make straight A's, or I can be a top seller at work. I can be loved if I have a, a big enough house in the right neighborhood. You guys tracking with me on that? Uh, I can be loved if I have enough followers on TikTok, if I have enough likes on Instagram. And, when, and so many of us get our sense of love from that, those kinds of things. And what it's called is it's called performanceism. And performanceism says there's no distinction between what we do and who we are. And so your resume is really not a part of your identity. It is your identity. And so performanceism is this belief that holds that if you're not doing enough or you're not doing well enough, then you aren't enough. 
And what makes us lovable and what makes life worth living is how, we, how well we perform at X, Y, and Z. And that's the love of the world. And there are a lot of people chasing it. I was reading about Billy Mitchell this week. Do you know who Billy Mitchell is? He's the world champion in Donkey Kong. He really is. Uh, he looks like it. He's got the, kind of the mullet going there and uh, the American tie, American flag red tie. But he's got the high score. And I don't, I don't know how current this is, so I, I didn't find out who's got the current high score. But um, there was a documentary on Billy Mitchell in 2007 called The King of Kong. And it was a documentary on Billy Mitchell's life. And it was all about the quest for the high score in Donkey Kong, the classic arcade game. And so uh, Billy has the record. He's had it. He's a legend in classic gaming community. And uh, in the documentary, they ask Billy Mitchell about it. And this is what he says. He says, and, I, and I'm quoting him, he says this. He says, uh, there's a level of difference between people and it translates into games. So he's talking about different levels that people are on. You guys following that? And he says, there's been no one who's even come close to beating me since I started this in 1982. That's amazing. He's been doing it a long time. Now, in the documentary, there's several uh, Billy's competitors that are gathering to see if they, can, if they can dethrone him. And they interview these competitors. And these guys talk about that Billy basically is... is is a god in the arcade world. You know what I mean? Like when he walks in, they talk about there's an electricity about him. Everybody goes silent when he walks into an arcade. Uh, everybody wants to be around him when he walks in. And, and, and one person even said, and I'm quoting this, he, says, he said, everything about him is perfect. Everything about him. And then the segment concludes with, Dilly, with Billy's father, who's obviously very proud of him, saying, Billy Mitchell is a winner. He's a winner. Now, Church, don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not wrong to perform and achieve and be the best at Donkey Kong. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, I, what I'm saying is this. When we start associating a person's value with how well they're performing, that begins to be a problem. Because what happens when Billy Mitchell turns 85 and he can't keep that high score in Donkey Kong? Is he worth nothing now? Is he useless in life? You see, the problem is when we become, we become synonymous with our performance. In other words, our identity is a reflection of how well we've been achieving or what we've accomplished and that kind of thing. And, and, and so really what Jesus is trying to say to us is, is he's really trying to say that God loves us with an unconditional love. And that is so foreign in our experience of the world that it's hard for us to believe it. It's the most controversial message I preach. That God loves you unconditionally. That his love for you is not based on how well you're performing. We struggle to believe it because we've been so conditioned in a conditional love, transactional love kind of world. It's like, I just don't know, man. That sounds like a scam to me. And it's really not. And that's at the heart of what Jesus is talking about when he says he's the good shepherd. And see, see, the problem is, is if you go all in on this conditional love, you're going to start looking for conditional love shepherds to follow. You're going to start looking for video game shepherds 
and social media shepherds for you and weight loss shepherds and live your best life now shepherds and you're going to attach yourself to these shepherds and you're going to get into those flocks and start living that kind of life and I'm just here to tell you church that none of them are going to love you and care for you like the good shepherd Jesus you guys follow me on that and so any approval and any acceptance that you find through these, through these other shepherds, it's not going to last and it's not going to satisfy. You just got to keep on the treadmill. And what we really long for is someone who knows us. What we really long for is someone who knows the truth about us and they don't shudder when they see us. Like they really love us and they accept us Anyway, that's what we need. We need someone who knows the truth about us, even when we flounder and fall short and fail, and yet they're there to pick us up. And that is exactly the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. I was reading some of the commentaries on this passage, and it was interesting because one commentator gave an illustration about sheep when they get lost, when they, when they stray from the flock, uh, they'll get lost and the shepherd will go and look for them. And uh, it's not like when the shepherd finds the lost sheep, the, sh- the lost sheep just jumps up and down and says, oh, I'm so glad you found me. Here I am. You know, take me back. You know, they don't do that. You know what they do when they see the shepherd coming? They absolutely panic. Like when they're out by themselves, they just start to kind of freak out and panic. And so what the shepherd has to do is kind of grab them, turn them over on their back and tie their legs together and then put them over their their shoulders and then carry them back to the flock because they're not smart enough to realize that the shepherd is doing what's best for them. They just go panicky and crazy. Aren't you glad God will chase you down? Aren't you glad in the midst of your rebellion and in the midst of mine, that he didn't stop, that he came after us, even in our insanity of, of living in rebellion against him. He gently picks us up, puts us on our shoulders, and brings us, brings us back in. That is, that, is, that is unconditional love. That's what we need. So, so when Jesus talks about he knows the sheep, that's what he knows. He knows the best and worst about you, and he loves you. He loves you. And uh, he loves you just because. Just because. It's just mind-boggling. But there's a second thing that Jesus wants to convey, and he talks about that he's going to defend the sheep. Let me show you this. Let me show you his defense of the sheep in verse 11. He says, he says, I'm the good shepherd and the shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who doesn't own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and he flees and that wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares, cares nothing for the sheep. So, so Jesus is talking about how he is going to defend the sheep. And he talks about how sheep are naturally kind of defenseless and they have these natural threats. And Jesus immediately starts to contrast himself with the hired hand. So they hire somebody to kind of watch the sheep. But when danger comes, oh man, that hired hand's out of there. And what's interesting about this is, and we kind of forget this as I describe, you know, that they're, they're anxious and easily frightened and pretty dumb. But sheep are very valuable animals too. So they are probably pound for pound the most valuable animal you could own 
back in Jesus' day. So they would obviously use their wool, their skin, their meat. Uh, That's why Jesus told the parable of the shepherd leaving the 99 to go find the one lost sheep. Because that one is so valuable. And so what Jesus is doing here is he contrasts himself with the hireling. He contrasts himself with that shepherd that really doesn't care anything about the sheep. At the first sign of a wolf, at the first sign of an animal, man, that hireling's gone. He's out of there. He's just in it for the money. But what Jesus is talking about here is he's motivated by something else. That Jesus is motivated again by his love for us. So much so that he's going to lay down his life for us. Now, this would have been, this statement would have been a total shock to the people that are listening to Jesus, to people that understand sheep farming. Because because you would never imagine a shepherd dying for the sheep. I mean, shepherds imagine living for the sheep, not dying for the sheep. But what Jesus says here is, I'm going to die for my sheep. And I think what he's doing is he's pushing the metaphor as far as it possibly can go. He is is just blowing this thing up. And people are like, what is he talking about? The shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. Because what we know, what we know is there's a limit to the love that we have for an animal. Right? There's a limit to that. Let me see a show of hands. How many of you have a pet that you love at home right now? Just raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We, we all, uh, many of us love an animal. Uh, let me introduce you to my dog, uh, Cooper. And uh, this is Cooper. He's the coolest dog in the world. So he, he got voted that by me. But um, anyway, he's really, he's really smart and uh, he's really funny. Uh, he's funny when he tries to talk to us. His problem is he barks really loud. That's his real problem. But uh, I really love Cooper. He helps me write all my sermons. So um, I bounce things off him all the time, and he kind of helps me with that. Uh, but here's the thing, church. I love him, but there's a limit to my love for him. I'm not going to die for him. Like if he was out in the middle of the road and there was a speeding car coming, I'm not going to push him out of the way so the car will hit me instead of him. I know that sounds kind of cruel, but I'm not, I love him, but I'm not going to die for him. There's a limit. There's a limit to my love for, for Cooper. And, uh, and so I would bet that you love your pet, your snake, or your turtle, or your dog and cat, or whatever it is, but there's a limit, isn't there? There's a, there's a limit. And so what Jesus is saying here is this. He's saying, there's no limit. There's no limit in my relationship with you. And uh, Jesus is going to go beyond what is expected of a shepherd. He's going to go absolutely beyond that. And what he's really saying is this, when the wolves come, the hireling's going to take off because the hireling's just in it for the money. But when the wolves come, I'm not. I'm going to become the sacrificial lamb when the wolves come. I'm going to take it for the flock. And this is the heart of the gospel. And it's just fascinating if you go back And you read Psalm 22. Jesus quotes it on the cross. He probably quoted the entire thing verbatim on the cross. But he quotes Psalm 22. In Psalm 22, he's talking about these evil dogs surrounding him. And evil people enveloping him. Now here's the thing, church. Because of who Jesus is, he could have snapped his finger and called a legion of angels down and nuked the entire place. 
but he didn't do it. That's why he says, no one takes my life from me. I voluntarily lay it down of my own accord. That's his love for you and me. That's what he's willing to do, and that's what he he did do. He basically said this, I would rather lose my life, my glory, and my position instead of my sheep being harmed in any way. It's just a beautiful thing. And I think a lot of times we, we don't realize what sin does to us and the consequence of sin and how, and how our sin necessitates the judgment of God. We, we, we just underestimate that. And we kind of just think to ourselves, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that serious. We don't understand the wages of sin is death. The consequence of sin is death. So God is a God of justice and sin has to be dealt with. It has to be punished because he's a God of justice or else he wouldn't be a God of justice if he just kind of said, oh, we'll just let it go. We'll just let it go. Can you imagine somebody breaking into your house, killing your family and burning your house down? The police arrest him, take him to court and the judge looks at the guy and says, you know what, we're just gonna let it go. It's all good, we're just gonna... We're going to let it go. You're going to be like, no, we can't let it go. That would not be justice. Well, you know what Jesus did? He wouldn't let it go. And he allowed the cup of that judgment that we deserve to be poured on himself. And so the implication of this is huge, church. We are his treasure. We are his beloved and he owns everything. He, there's not anything in the universe that doesn't belong to him. And yet, in the middle of all of that, he loves us more than anything else. So he's going to defend the sheep. And then that leads us to the last one. Jesus just says this outright. Jesus gives the sheep abundant life. Look, at, look with me at verse 10. This is a great verse. He says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I've come that, that you may have life and have it abundantly. Now, he's, he's contrasting himself here with the thief. So he's, he's, gonna, he's contrasted himself with the hireling, and now he's kind of talking about the thief. And so the thief comes at night to kind of steal and to kill and destroy, but I've come to give the flock abundant life. Now, as I was working in this passage, I, I, was, I was really wondering, who is he talking about? What thief is he talking about? And uh, many of the commentators talked about he was probably referring to the religious leaders of the day, of all people. The religious leaders of the day, the people that were just so corrupt in, in leading other people. They were so corrupt. They just, they just did the things that they did for their own approval and their own praise. You know, they would pray on street corners just so that other people would say, wow, look how spiritual you are, man. You just got it together. Or a lot of times, these religious leaders would shear the flock for their own advancement. So they would skim off the offerings at the temple, taking from widows what they were giving sacrificially so that they could enrich themselves. And it's just, you see it all the way. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus going after these guys time and time again. He comforted the afflicted, but he also afflicted the comfortable. And that's what you see. And in, in the reality, there's nothing new under the sun. You see this even today, TV preachers skimming, shearing the flock of God for their own self-advancement. 
Jesus says, I'm not that. I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. What's fascinating about that phrase, life or abundant life or eternal life, it's used 36 times in the Gospel of John alone. It is the major theme of the Gospel of John. At most, in other New Testament books, at most, it's not even used more than 17 times. So this is a major theme, this whole, whole concept of, of, of abundant life and eternal life. What does it mean? It just, it just means extraordinary life. It, it really is a, a, a great quantity. Abundant life is a great quantity of life. And Jesus says, that's what I've come to give to my flock is life, abundant life. And I think there's no question when he's talking about the fact that he's the good shepherd, he is, he is connecting back to Psalm 23, which his audience would have known by heart. They would have understood that he's making the connection between what David said, the Lord is my shepherd. He's saying, I am that shepherd. And he's adding to it. He's expanding to it, basically saying that I'm going to give life to the flock because I am the good shepherd. And so throughout Psalm 23, as we have talked about so many times in the past, the shepherd provides for us, church, we need not worry. The shepherd renews our strength when we're depleted. The shepherd gives us rest in his unconditional love. The shepherd gives us guidance when we've got to make big decisions and small decisions. That the shepherd will walk through us as we go through the valley of the shadow of death. And we will. He walks with us. And, he, and he, he loves us so much that he's going to pour his goodness into our life. So it's overflowing to the point where it follows us everywhere we go all throughout life. I think that's the abundant life that he's talking about. It's what the other earthly shepherds promise but never deliver. But Jesus delivers it. So if Jesus knows us and he defends us by dying for us and he gives us abundant life, what does that mean? It means you can trust him, church. It means whatever it is that you're struggling with right now, you can trust him. Don't hold back. Go all in and put your faith in the good shepherd. Put your faith in him. He is faithful. He will always come through. So let me just, let me just ask you this. Are you pursuing worldly shepherds? Are you, are you chasing the conditional love of the world? Or are you reveling in God's unconditional love? See, it starts with you and I just trusting the shepherd and surrendering to him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the love that you have for us. Lord, thank you for the truth that you speak to us. That in the midst of our fear and our worry and our doubt and our questions and our struggles and our sins, you love us and you are for us. So Lord, just open our eyes to that today. Soften our hearts to your love. And I pray, God, that you would just forgive us 
for turning our back so many times on the truth and just believing a lie. God, that you would just cleanse us from that. And I pray that you would, you would just show us your heart. You would show us the truth about who you are and how you love us and how you lead us. As the, as the good shepherd, you're always with us. You never leave us, God. You walk us to class. You're with us in the car when we drive to work. When we're home with the kids and the kids are going crazy, God, you're, you're right there in the midst of it. And so we just thank you for the abundant life that you offer that comes from, from walking in the Spirit. And so God, just renew us. God, we confess we're weary from the world. We're weary from what we've been going through over the last year or so. But God, thank you that, that you are the good shepherd and you, you bring rest to your sheep, to your flock. So God, I just ask you would just show us just how marvelous, just how amazing, just how magnificent your love really is. God, renew us in your spirit today. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.